Welcome to the show. In this one, I talk to Darian Draper. He's a snowboarder, a father, and an all-around athlete. He grew up in Seward, Alaska, where he learned how to be an athlete and the importance of working out and preparing for competition. He wrestled in high school and won the Alaska State Championship of Wrestling twice. He was a takedown artist, meaning he would rush his opponent and subdue them on the ground as quickly as possible. He says he probably could have gone to college for wrestling, but he was more interested in snowboarding. So that's what he did. He refocused all of his energy into getting good at snowboarding. He'd watch all the new videos and then practice those tricks on the trampoline with his brother. He and his friends would eventually hike around the mountains surrounding Seward and build jumps. They'd go to Turnigan Pass and build jumps there too. And at the end of the season, they'd go to Borderline Camp at Alieska. Darian applied the same mentality to snowboarding as he did wrestling. He studied and he trained, because that's how you get good. This podcast is made possible through the generous support of the Crude Magazine Patreon subscribers. If you already subscribe to the Crude Magazine Patreon, thank you. For those listeners who aren't, please consider subscribing at patreon.com slash crude magazine. That's patreon.com slash crude magazine and pick the subscription tier that works for you. I want to thank everyone subscribed at the company man tier. These are the people who have subscribed to the crude Patreon for $50 or more. Trina Duber, Seward Brewing Company, The Grind Coffee Shop in Juneau, Derek Adolph, Sharon Liska, Jake Liska, Alaska Surf Adventure, Aquila Space, and Borderline Legacy. Thank you to all the Patreon subscribers. Your money and your support make these conversations possible. You can also support this podcast with a one-time payment at buymeacoffee.com slash crude magazine. That's buymeacoffee.com slash crude magazine. And if you have a chance to rate or review Crude Conversations on Apple Podcasts, please do. Also, you can now get crude apparel and merchandise at TeePublic. From t-shirts to hoodies to stickers, baby onesies and more. Just go to the crude Instagram and click the link in the bio. Okay, back to Darian Draper. His first board sponsor was Nitro Snowboards, and his team manager considered him a jock. And not in a positive, this guy's an athlete, and we need to promote him kind of way. Instead, it was in a way that made him hold Darian's snowboard career back. When Darian landed what many consider to be the first double cork, or a precursor to a double cork, the team manager bought the rights to the photo sequence and suppressed it so that it would never come out. Then when Darian asked him why he never ran the sequence, he said he didn't want him to be labeled as a hucker, someone who indiscriminately chucks their body into the air. This was in 2001, when no one was really doing tricks like that. These tricks would eventually become a staple in professional snowboarding. Darian feels like he really got ripped off on that one. But he's got kids now, and says that that's helped him learn how to let things go and to not live in the past.
So here he is, Darian Draper. <laughs> this red light right here, it means we're recording. Okay, fired up. Crude conversations. Listen more than you talk. Go to work! Do people still call you Steak Neck? Nobody ever really called me Steak Neck. It was just a... <laughs> it was a... It came from Trans World um, on my checkout. Uh, uh, Mikey LeBlanc put a quote on there that said, The only thing I know about Steak Neck is that he steals people's lines off cliffs. He has no respect. And... Um, I had never met Mikey LeBlanc before, so I was really confused. Nobody had ever called me Steak Neck. And so um, I kind of did some recon on it and figured out that um, he had uh, gotten some background info that I was a wrestler. And, um, and I guess that's where it came from. But the whole thing was a surprise to me. And uh, no, nobody ever called me Steak Neck until until that came out and uh people that really knew me didn't really call me that but it was kind of funny you know it was like do i just go with it or be pissed about it so i just went with it it was uh it was pretty funny funny nickname i thought so yeah yeah i thought so too you know i remember the people that called you it like say if i remember correctly like bertner would call you it every once in a while and and I felt like it was jokingly, you know, like maybe now that I know the story and I didn't know the story before, I wonder if maybe the people that did call you it were just trying to put like a comical spin on something that actually did have like its roots in a little bit of animosity. Yeah, I I think it did. Um, you know, as uh, Mikey was friends with... Uh... This guy, Tonino Copain, was the team manager of Nitro at the time. And uh, I got no love from that guy. He was, huh. uh, you know, behind the scenes calling me a jock and a wrestler. And, you know, basically, like, when the boards came in, you know, um, all the all the other guys in the uh, area got the, the pick of the boards before I did. And, um, yeah, it wasn't really ideal. Um that dude, uh, he he kind of fucked shit up for me. So, in what way? Um, well, <laughs> um, when when I landed the double backflip backside rodeo, um, there was a sequence photo taken of that. Uh, Kevin Westenbarger shot a sequence photo of that, and it was clean. It was the same the same jump that was on the borderline video 49th chamber. Um, mm -hmm. uh, and that was sent to him. Um, he bought the photo from the guy and never ran the photo. Really? Yeah. So basically he bought the rights to the photo and basically Kevin did couldn't sell it to anybody else. And so it never got ran. He told me that, I asked him why he didn't run it. You know, he said, uh, I didn't want you to be labeled a hucker. Huh? That's interesting. I, I didn't know that. And so like, like six months later, 
It might even have been longer. I think it was, yeah, it was like the next winter or whatever. There's like a four page flip out of JP Walker doing the same trick with a frontside 180. Hmm. So I was a little, uh, little pissed off about that. Yeah. You know, there's this technique in journalism, not good journalism, but what it is, is, and I forget the exact term, but it's basically like to dead a story. What happens is a publication like the National Enquirer, right? That doesn't really have like a lot of um, like people don't really trust it, you know, like bat boys on the cover and stuff, right. um, but they'll buy a story. And they'll buy the rights to the story and then they own those rights to the story. They run the story in kind of like their, their publication that people don't always trust. And then it never really goes anywhere. Um, and I think that there's also another technique where just like you said, a news organization will buy a story and then, um, just hold on to it, you know, and then they own the rights to that thing and it never gets released. That's wild. Yeah, that that sequence photo never surfaced anywhere, which is really kind of strange because there was nothing happening like that. This was yeah. 2001, 2000, yeah, I think 2001, and uh, yeah. But anyway, yeah, there's there's a little bit of, um, you know, what do you call it? Uh, I, I, I still kind of feel like I got ripped off on that one, but... Um, yeah, it's it is what it is. Maybe the, I don't know. I I kind of got a lot of uh, a lot of different uh, responses from doing that trick, and um, you know, it was like I when I when I started, um, I got involved with Trilogy Arts after um, after Nitro and dealing with uh, that team manager guy that I didn't really get along with, and. Uh, and uh, I filmed another one of those tricks, and it was it was in the backcountry, and it was landed really smooth, and it was like, it was the best trick on my part by far, you know. And mm-hmm. uh, we kind of had some connections at that point with Standard Films, and I had uh, I had shot a whole, and I had shot a whole kind of uh, a, a bunch of sixteen millimeter stuff um, with Standard Films, and um, when when my stuff got on the chopping block. Uh, the Ruben Sanchez, the owner of Trilogy Arts, told me that my catch it called that trick a double heel catcher. Huh. <laughs> and um, I don't. It it kind of uh, I don't know. It kind of just opened my eyes to where like I think that people. That's exactly what some people didn't didn't want to see. Didn't want to see snowboarding going in that direction. They said like. Basically, it's turning into aerial skiing at that point where they're doing, you know, the arms out, you know, as they take off and they're spinning and flipping doing like. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So I don't know. I could kind of see that, uh, you know, that outlook on it. But uh, my uh, my thought in, in when I was in, you know, that that point in my life was let's do some shit that nobody's done. Yeah. Yeah. Let's let's make let's. Let's do some shit that nobody's ever seen before. That I mean, that's the coolest shit I could think of. Like, nobody's ever done this before, or at least I've never seen it. Yeah, yeah. No, you were the first person that I ever saw do something like that. And I remember thinking, you know, and we were all very critical 
you know, back then about like snowboard tricks and like keeping it pure. But I thought it was cool what you were doing, you know? And I remember seeing it in, you said it was in 49 Chamber, right? Yeah. And so all that to say that although we were very critical, I felt like we weren't critical of you doing that, at least like in our own circle, you know, in Alaska. Yeah, I can't say I ever felt um, anything, but people, I mean, everybody in, in, in my Alaska circle was stoked on it. I mean, yeah, they were like, holy shit, like, you know, it, it was clean, like, held a grab, like, yeah. you know, it looks fucking sick, like, yeah, you know, so I never got the, like, dude, that shit is whack, like, <laughs> but, but I, got, I, I got that from, you know from uh you know nitro and and even standard films what was it like to get that reception from these people that are kind of you know they're they're the gatekeepers at that point yeah i don't know um i kind of felt like um like maybe i I said something wrong or i you know i i uh, wasn't friends with the right guys or you know um you know maybe you know, I, I wasn't the right, I wasn't the right fit, you know, like that was called a a jock and, uh, you know, a a hucker maybe, you know, and, um, um, I, I think that people didn't want, or some, some people, you know, didn't, didn't want the sport to get in the hands of people like me, you know, or, Mm -hmm. I mean, and I hate to, I mean, Travis Rice is kind of in that same kind of uh, category I'd say just like somebody that is an actual athlete that has mm-hmm. trained and you know uh, lifted weights and um, didn't only snowboard but was you know a football player or you know yeah. and, and uh, you know had uh, done some serious strength training to get to the point where you can throw a double rodeo and and you know or take a beating off of a you know 60 foot cliff and get back up and go back for more, you know? Yeah. You're not going to do that if you aren't, um, you know, physically trained to do it. And uh, I think that a lot of people didn't want to see the sport go that direction, but it's it was inevitable, you know? It's in the Olympics. Yeah. Yeah, and like you said, you know, Travis Rice, you have Mark McMorris, who's at least, from what I've seen, seems to be following in Travis Rice's footsteps, you know, um, really good snowboarder, but also like, you know, he works out. He's, he's really intent on like being an athlete rather than, you know, you get hammered the night before and then you, you know, make your way up to the mountain and you, you know, you're able to land these tricks that are worthy of like being in competitions or on film, but you're hungover, you know, that's not like sustainable. Right. Yeah, the yeah the thing the thing about that is I I was hungover, you know. <laughs> like, okay. <laughs> the day I filmed with uh, Trilogy Arts for the first day, I mean, I I just woke up and was was super uh, super hungover, you know. I I had uh, got very little sleep and uh, was was still able to you know get out there and land the hardest thing I could possibly do, and uh, but you know I. Um, being an athlete as a, you know, as a high school kid, you know, um, I was kind of, 
you know, train to do it right and, and get sleep and, yeah. and do all that. But, uh, you know, run off to college and, you know, you get, you get hammered and still go, go hit the, go hit the kicker the next day. <laughs> <laughs> and when you landed that double backside rodeo for the first time, what was that like for you? So, um, I, I, it kind of came in, in, in steps, you know, I was, uh, I was doing double backflips, um, uh, and, um, I was at a local spot here in Seward. Um, we, we built a jump out, of on Mount Alice and, um, and, uh, it, it was one of those jumps that just kind of had like a never ending landing. You could just keep going. And I, uh, mm-hmm. uh, it was kind of a, it was hard to get enough speed to really go huge, but, uh, I, I did a double backflip and I was, I was doing them like barrel roll, you know, like I would go, mm-hmm. you know, towards my heel edge instead of like towards my tail. Yeah. Like, um, anyway. And so I was, you know, trying to grab with it and trying to just make it look good, you know, because, you know, double backflips are, I don't know, they're, they're cool, but it's like, uh, you know, and I, and it just kind of evolved. I, um, I had done a double backflip and I kind of landed 90 like um, towards the backside. And so I, I, I landed and it just kind of pivoted that way as I, as I put the board to the ground and I, I watched the footage when I got back um, and I was like, holy shit, like, like I could totally do a backside 180 with that and it would be like a double rodeo. And uh, um, anyway, (laughs) <laughs> but but I mean it's still it's still debatable whether that's a, a a double cork or a double rodeo or just a a double backflip backside 180. <laughs> uh, but uh, I I really only landed that trick a couple times and uh, both uh, both of the good landed uh, tricks were on films and uh, the first one was on the 49th chamber and the second one was on. Uh, uh, the first trilogy arts film was called How We Live, but uh, yeah, the first one was on a park jump, and the second one was on a backcountry kicker. And the one that the the guy from Nitro, you know, he bought, and then he kind of like hid away. Where was that at? That was at High Cascade Snowboard Camp in Mount Hood. And, okay, um, you know, Bertner was there filming. Uh, Borgstead and Bertner were there. Um, and they filmed that, that same jump. Um, but just a random dude on the ridge line, you know, um, took, was, was shooting the photos of that. And, uh, you know, he approached me after that. It's like, Hey man, I got that whole thing on, uh, on photo, you know, sequence photo. And so, yeah, I just kind of kept in contact with him and just trying like, Hey, is this going to make the magazine? Like, yeah, <laughs> you know, it was like, I, I hope this makes the magazine because. I think it's pretty cool. Yeah, that's interesting that you said JP Walker was was the one who eventually like got a sequence, like possibly the sequence that you should have had. I, I, yeah, possibly. I remember that coming out and flip, you know, it was like one of those flip out, but it was a double flip out. <laughs> it was like yeah. and it said on there JP Walker invents a new trick and it was the exact same trick as I was doing, except a frontside 180, mm-hmm. which, in my opinion, doesn't even look as good. Yeah, that's frustrating. A lot of people probably would agree with that, but, uh, but yeah, he was a big name guy, you know. And I'm just a jock. So, <laughs> I didn't, uh, I didn't get the four page. Do you? I mean, 
when you said that, I thought it was funny, you know, that you're like, I'm just a jock, but does, do were you saying that like in a negative way? Um, I, I mean, no, not in, in my, in my opinion, that's not a negative thing, but, uh, but I, I think that it was kind of, uh, you know, twisted in that way. Like, well, this guy's a wrestler, like, mm -hmm. you know, like, I, I don't know. Like, um, it, you know, I guess kind of, I kind of have like a little bit of, uh, you know, how do you say that? Like, uh resentment i guess yeah <laughs> about about that that portion um uh, and how all that went down was like i i remember all the nitro guys were like the dudes wearing fucking bum hats and cut off knitted gloves and uh you know hitting rails in salt lake city mm -hmm. and that was that was what was making the magazine you know not somebody that's you know doing something new or something that's uh you know it all it all just depended on what you look like and who you were friends with and you know, and I was, I was referred to as the wrestler. <laughs> really? From those guys. Yeah. From that uh, Nitro crew. So anyway, yeah. I mean, um, being a jock, I, I mean, that was, that was what got me to, to where I could do that kind of shit on a snowboard, you know? And, yeah. and, uh, you know, if that, if that made me have funky style or whatever you thought about it, um, you know, that was what. That's what it was. So, and how did you do in wrestling? Um, so I won Alaska State Championship. Uh, well, three A will be small school state championship uh, twice uh, at one one forty and one fifty two um, pound weight classes. I I won the wrestling state championship. Um, and, uh, yeah. Um, I was really close to winning the state championship the two years before that too. So I, I was a contender for a state title for four years that I was, uh, in high school wrestling. Um, later on, I was, um, I was voted as a wrestler, the best wrestler of the decade in my weight class. So really 52 pounds, I was declared the wrestler of the decade for, uh, voted on by the coaches in, uh, the small schools of Alaska. Wow, that's awesome! Yeah, I'm I'm proud of it. You know, I I worked real hard at that. You know, I uh, I I studied hard. Uh, you know, learning kind of the the style of of wrestling that um uh, that that I ended up being, uh, you know, which was kind of a uh, an offensive. Um, I, I I was a a takedown artist, as they would say. So, <laughs> I. Uh, I had a uh, a low single leg takedown that was pretty tough to defend. So, but uh, yeah, I, I busted my ass and worked really hard at that, and um, I was I was really successful. I, I probably could have gone to college and wrestled, and I was way more into snowboarding. Could you explain to me, you know, in in reference to you being a takedown artist, what did that look like in like its most you know, shining moments. <laughs> uh, well, um, so uh, the, the style of takedowns I kind of uh, uh, adopted was uh, John Smith's low single leg takedown. And um, I wasn't the kind of a wrestler that would come up and, and, you know, tie up with somebody, like grab them by the head or, mm -hmm. you know, or even like uh, touch hands together. I would, 
kind of uh, stay away from the opponent, and I would uh, I was really kind of bouncing around, um, and I I I I would uh, I would take a an ankle away from him, so I would uh, um, come in super low, um, and uh, it would be like a uh, something that was completely set up, and so um, I would get get the opponent um, moving around, and I would pick their ankle up off the ground before they even knew I was coming in for it. So, uh, what the what the ideal single leg takedown would look like would be, I uh, pick their ankle up off the ground before they have a chance to defend themselves, and I put their foot up in the air until they fall on their back, land on top of them, and pin them. You know, I'm not super familiar with wrestling, but like, it seems like your matches would be pretty short then. Uh, yeah, typically they were, you know, um, there was, uh, there was a lot of beatdowns where, <laughs> but you know, actually a lot of times, you know, I, I would take them down and let them back up and okay. it just be, it, I don't know, it's kind of degrading to the other guy, you know, where it's just like. I mean, you can do whatever the fuck I want with you, like you know. Yeah. <laughs> and so I just take him down and and let him go and just do it over and over again until I you get ahead by ten points and then they call it a they call it a tech and and you win the match. Yeah. Do you have any specific moments that come to mind? Maybe specific matches. Um, not in particular. There's like certain takedowns that I've. <clears throat> remember from from film where a guy would react a, a certain way and I would um you know like he'd if, if a guy sprawled on top of me one time and I and I went up like through between his legs and uh and <laughs> just just a totally different uh type of a, a finish to the takedown that, that would normally happen but yeah there's like certain certain takedowns it was like damn made that guy look like a fool you know <laughs> that guy had no idea what was coming like um but as far as matches and stuff the only ones i really remember like are the ones that i lost you know for, for the most part like the ones that i won um there were very few close matches that i won you know they were usually i just uh, won by a lot yeah um but yeah there was a few matches that i lost that were really close and uh those are the ones i remember isn't it weird how that happens where you know we can go through life and we have these successes that we've been we've been preparing for and you know they're they're great in that moment but you seem to only remember like these failures you know these things that you you feel are the failures in your life yeah yeah that's that's for real and that continues on with everything you know even my career now you know and we only remember the stuff that i fucked up you know yeah and i wonder at least for me like this perspective that i've i've felt is is important is like what have i learned from those failures you know and then i try not to do that thing again yeah for sure i think um, I've learned, I mean, everybody learns more from failure than they do from success, I think. Um, but, uh, yeah, my, 
career that, you know, my <laughs> job that I'm in now, I do, uh, HVAC and, um, plumbing, heating, refrigeration stuff. And, um, mm-hmm. and yeah, I, when, when I mess up, I really, I really think about the next time I am doing that, the, the same thing. And, uh, I, I, I make sure I don't do it the same way. So, yeah, but it's the, it's the same in the same in snowboarding, you know, you, yeah. you mess up and you, you get, uh, you get hurt, you know, you think about it. Was there a moment where you messed up or in your mind you failed at something in snowboarding and then you were like, all right, I'm not doing that again. Um, yeah, I don't know. Um, I think there was a couple of different, uh, things that happened in my snowboarding that kind of led things in different direction. I think that the first, um, after, after, uh, standard films decided not to run any of my footage, um, I decided that I was only going to film with, uh, with Trilogy Arts, um, the next season, which looking back on it, that was a huge mistake because they were offering, you know, they were letting me back, you know, they wanted me to come back. Um, and you know, I I was, uh, the most elite, uh, crew in snowboarding and I was pissed off to, you know, oh, you guys didn't run my shit. And, Mm -hmm. um, uh, I felt pissed off about it. So I decided like, well, fuck those guys. I'm just going to ride, you know, with trilogy arts and we'll film our own video. And, um, and then that season I broke my leg super bad. Um, uh, you know, just was jumping a, a silly little street gap thing over some water pipes and, uh, I came up short compound fractured my shin and, Mm. uh, that was pretty much the ender, you know, I tried real hard to get back into it. And I remember even you know, like snowboarding again the next year and, and landing on that leg and just dealing with the most insane amount of pain. Mm. Um, and just like thinking I can, I can fight through this. I can get, I can get this all back. And, uh, yeah, it just kind of, it just kind of dwindled from there, you know, like, mm-hmm the company trilogy arts just kind of, uh, it wasn't really selling any snowboards like we had anticipated. And, uh, um, just, uh, yeah, my leg was fucked up. I mean, like I had seven screws in my shin and Jeez. I'm still trying to, you know, film a video part. And yeah, you know, there was a couple of, couple of glimpses of, uh, some cool stuff, but, you know, all in all, it's just if your video part's not better than the year before, it's it's not a success. So, um, you know, I, I tried really hard to get back into it for years and years, and it just was never it was never the same again after after breaking my shin. And was that because it hurt? You know, when you landed on it, or was it, you know, all psychological? Yeah, mostly just it hurt. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's mostly just pain, and um, you know, I fought, I fought through a lot of it. But I mean, geez, even years after, you know, that my shin has been a lot of pain. I think I'm in a place now where I don't, I don't hurt as much. But it's been, it's been 15 years now, you know. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, the first five years out of, uh, you know, compound fracture in my shin, it was, there was a lot of pain. I mean, even you know, running on a treadmill, uh, 
you know, is still painful. So, yeah, it's something that definitely uh, has affected my my entire life. But uh, but yeah, I, I think is is mostly just dealing with the pain um, and just not being able to do what I did before. Mm-hmm. You know, in my opinion, you've always been a really strong rider. Just watching you ride, you can tell you're solid and you have a great understanding of where you are in the air, in your rotations, and in your flips. Where do you think that comes from? I used to jump on the trampoline a lot as a kid. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I remember uh, <laughs> I remember learning, my brother and I learned how to do double backflips on the trampoline. Um, <laughs> and uh, so he would he would bounce me and I'm like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. You know? And like, yeah. Uh, do like a flip and a half and like pull out of it. Like, Oh, scared. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> ended up uh, being able to do it without any, you know, anybody else bouncing me or anything. And I remember going to borderline camp that summer and being like, I'm going to do a double backflip. And, uh, <laughs> I remember being on the chairlift with Jesse Burtner and uh, I, I told him I was going to do a double backflip. And he said, uh, I hate to burst your bubble, but the only guy that could do a double backflip on a snowboard is Jim Rippey. <laughs> I'm like, oh yeah. <laughs> uh, and then I tried one at the uh, at the final competition that season at Borderline Camp. I I threw a double back off of the big air jump. I didn't land it or anything, but it was still cool to be like, yeah, I could I can rotate a double backflip. Did Bertner say anything to you after that? I can't remember. Okay. I can't remember, but you know, I definitely <laughs> was like, yeah, what's up, Bertner? Like, <laughs> I'm going to do it and you're going to see it. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, a lot of that air awareness stuff all came from, you know, trampolines and just, uh, and then, you know, just getting in the air, just uh, built a lot of fucking jumps over the years, you know? Yeah. Uh, get your get get to flailing around out there and kind of figure out how to how to finish the rotation or at least not get killed trying it and was this in Seward was this you know you guys going into the mountains around that area and building jumps yeah there was um <clears throat> we got a, a handful of uh, uh mountains that we hike around here uh, mount marathon um Mount Marathon Bowl had some pretty good uh, kicker spots, and then Mount Alice and Mount Eva um, are all just uh, our local mountains around here. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, we we built a lot of jumps, you know, out in those areas. But we also went to Turnigan Pass, and you know, and then you know, Borderline Camp. You know, Borderline yeah. Camp was like the main thing. You know, somebody built the jumps for you, and everybody's there. You like, you know, you're getting coached on you know, how to, how to do this stuff. And uh, that was the biggest thing was just like, dude, can't wait till camp this year. You know, I'm going yeah. <laughs> to walk this trick down or I'm going to do that trick. And yeah, I mean, it, uh, it d- did a lot of, uh, a lot of backcountry kicker building and stuff, but where he really, really got stuff tuned in was at camp when you could just lap that jump, and get pulled up by a snow machine or ride the chairlift to it, you know? Mm-hmm. You know, I talked to Tim Weiser, who used to work for Nitro Snowboards back in the day. He was a rep. Yeah. And I talked to him on the podcast recently, and he said that 
when he saw you ride at camp, he knew he needed to get you boards. Yeah, he gave me my first free board, I think. Okay. Yeah, it was at camp, and there was like a demo fleet there, and uh, he just gave, he's like, here, just take this one, you know? <laughs> yeah. And he was my contact at Nitro um, first. Yeah. yeah. What do you remember most about that time of year, camp? Oh, dude, just uh, just warm weather snowboarding, you know, just mm-hmm. riding that corn snow and um, um, but uh, just that everybody was there, you know, and yeah. uh, we always would assemble a, a a crew from Seward, and we'd stay, we'd all stay at this one condo and just trash the place you know Uh, (laughs) but uh yeah and then it was like the skate rats came with us too you know the guys that didn't snowboard they would they would stay at the condo too but they'd just be piles all day you know just hanging out (laughs) eating cereal and while we were off snowboarding and then they wanted to you know rage all night and uh, yeah (laughs) like the guys that wanted to go snowboarding like dude i gotta get some sleep around here how's that gonna happen (laughs) but yeah uh yeah i just remember yeah june june rolled around and it was like it's time to go to camp and uh yeah i once i went for the first time i didn't miss after that i was like there is nothing cooler than fucking borderline camp there was honestly like that was the best time of year (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Do you have any camp stories? <laughs> oh fuck! I'm sure I could think of one or two or ten, but uh, uh, oh, I <laughs> well, one one story was uh, um, just exactly kind of what I was painting the picture of was the you know the skate rats wanting to stay up partying all night and and uh, you know I wanted to shred <laughs> you know I wanted mm-hmm. to go snowboarding. <laughs> You know, there was uh, shenanigans going down in the condo and, and uh, my Seward crew, uh, the SAC, SAC crew were, were filming, uh, you know, stuff for our skate video. And uh, they they captured this uh, moment of, uh, you know, somebody, somebody coming in my bedroom to try and fuck with somebody that was sleeping and they got slapped across the face. Like you could, <laughs> they like come in the room with like a handful of peanut butter to swipe on somebody's face. And my face comes in from where you can't see on the other side of the door and just like a yeah. big old smack. <laughs> like, get out of here. I'm trying to go snowboarding tomorrow. <laughs> oh man. Uh, but yeah, snowboard camp. That was uh, the best time of year for sure. And when were you introduced to Borderline? I mean, I always was shopping at Borderline. Um, so my, my dad started a business for my brother and I when I was young. And, um, you know, we had pretty much, you know, save up save up all summer to uh, get geared up at Borderline, you know, in the fall. And uh, I just remember going into Borderline, like, I don't know, like 12 years old, like, like, Dude, where are you got? Where do you get all this money to buy all this stuff? Dude, I'm mowing <laughs> lawns, man. I mow lawns all summer. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I was going to Borderline, you know, when it was in the mall and stuff. So like, I don't know. I, I think I started skateboarding when I was like ten or something like that, and uh, and started snow and started snowboarding at eleven. So, so yeah, that was about when I got introduced to Borderline, but. Uh, but yeah, I definitely uh, 
was uh, only shopped there pretty much. I mean, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, it was uh, cut, cut grass all summer to, to make enough money to buy a new board and, and uh, new gear. And, um, and uh, yeah, it was, it was definitely the cool place to shop. What was the first snowboard video you filmed for? Um, well, it's, uh, my grandpa got me a digital video camera when I was like 16, but I guess that, that probably wasn't the first ones that we filmed. We had some little local videos that we kind of put together around here. Some friends of ours, uh, would, would film some things and, and, uh, but I don't know. I guess I think that, uh, I don't know which, which borderline video was the first one I was on, but, uh, what was that one? It wasn't a hundred percent. It was uh survival of the tightest. That's a good That's one. That's what it was. That's what it was. <laughs> but really before that, like there was no other film to like, you know, be a part of. It was like, um, and, and, you know, I just kind of got, got hooked up with borderline after borderline camp. And it was like, um, I just remember I got a board from Tim and then I got a car and a video camera and then it was just on from there. But yeah, it was, it was survival of the tightest. And, um, yeah, that was, uh, that was everything film, film for that video. Do you remember if you had just like one shot in those JB Deuce movies, the first one you were in, Survival of the Tightest, or was, you know, were you filming with them? The first one, I think the first one, like all my shots were from Borderline Camp, and I went to High Cascades Snowboard Camp that year, I think. Um, and we filmed a bunch of stuff down there too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was, I, I was, I was 16, 16 or 17. And, uh, we filmed, we filmed at I cascades down at Mount hood. So, um, I don't think before that we really ever like, we're trying to film a video part, you know, I was kind of a busy kid and it was always involved in sports and stuff. And, uh, um, but, uh, but yeah, I don't, it wasn't like really a main feature on the video, but, um, we definitely, I had more, more than just like one or two shots. Yeah. So, but yeah, before that, I don't, I mean, I don't even, that must've been the first year I went to borderline camp or something like that, where we actually filmed a couple of clips or no, that doesn't even make sense. It's hard to remember, man. It's been, it's been 20 years now. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. We got old all of a sudden. You know, something that I'm kind of, I'm kind of catching on to here is, you know, you, and I've known this about you, but you're just a natural athlete. Like you're just good at sports. And I wonder when you got into snowboarding, were you like, I'm going to get really good at this. I want to be a part of the filmmaking scene. I want to be a part of, you know, the teams. I want to be part of borderline. I want to go to camp and I want to be part of like the action or did you just kind of fall into it? 
I was just a fan of snowboarding, you know, I just thought it was the, it was the coolest thing going on, you know, it was like, yeah, I did a lot of other things, you know, snowboard was, but snowboarding was the number one, you know, like I, I was just drawn to it. I watched the videos, you know, um, you know, just watching those old snowboard films, uh, Oh, TB4, Run to the Hills, and, uh, mm -hmm. like, Subject Hawkinson, and I just remember seeing, like, uh, like Hawkinson's shit, Daniel Frank doing these rodeos, and I just remember, mm -hmm. like, I gotta do that trick, you know? Like, I don't care what it takes, I'm gonna learn how to do that trick, and it, then it was, like, take it to the trampoline, like, I need to learn how to do this rodeo spin, you know, that sideways, you know, corkscrew shit, and, uh... Yeah and just like consumed me man it was like i that's that was what i wanted more than anything else you know i i i did train for football season and i you know i went to you know wrestling camps and stuff like that but snowboarding was always where my heart was and mm -hmm. it's like what i wanted to pursue more than anything yeah and so when it came time to go off to college <laughs> I probably could have chased a you know, wrestling scholarship or, you know, gone and, you know, tried to play some other sport. But uh, I went, I went to Reno and, you know, was going to snowboard in Lake Tahoe. Um, and that first thing I did was I got a truck and a snow machine. That was like my college savings <laughs> went to a Tacoma and a Polaris 700. <laughs> And then I was in business. Yeah. And what did those those sessions look like in Reno? Well, I guess they wouldn't be in Reno. They would have been in Tahoe, right? Yeah. Um, we, um, I just, <laughs> I just remember going to Mount Rose with, uh, with the, the Alaska crew. I think, uh, I think Bertner was there. Okay. Anyway, we had like. I had, I had a snow machine and then there was like a bunch of Alaska dudes going to school down there, you know? And I just yeah. remember going up, going up to Mount Rose with my snow machine. And I had like seven dudes to, to pull up to the top of the mountain, you know? <laughs> it was like, yeah, I had the whole Alaska crew there and, uh, you know, just pull a bunch of dudes out into a spot where we built a jump and, and, you know, that was, uh, that was the session. But, um, but yeah, I, um, I, I did the, the first semester in school. Well, my whole plan was go to school for um, go to school for the fall semester, and then after Christmas, or you know, once Christmas break came around, I was going to straight snowboard. I wasn't going back to school in the spring. Mm -hmm. And uh, my first year, I lived in Squaw Valley. The uh, one of the nitro reps had me laced out with a. Uh, 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 department that was right under the cable car at Squaw Valley. And my roommates were Chris Courier and Nate Holland. Dang, okay. Um, Nate Holland, like the uh, border cross, like X Games border cross 10-time champion. Yeah. And um, that, uh, it got pretty rowdy in there a few times. Uh, <laughs> I can imagine. <laughs> Courier, and, <laughs> Courier and Holland got in a big fight one night, and uh, we got kicked out of our apartment. So I had... <laughs> I was couch surfing for the rest of this for the rest of the season. Yeah, I guess it was uh 
the the guy who was renting the apartment was subletting it to us and he got in a big trouble for you know renting his apartment out to other people and yeah it was uh <laughs> it was kind of a mess but that was a super fun intro um well i had been to i had been to squaw like the winter before that but mm -hmm. uh living in squaw valley was really cool that must have been one hell of a fight to get you guys kicked out of your apartment. <laughs> yeah. They were in the bathroom or something like somebody's head was pinned on the bathroom floor or something. I don't remember. It was a bunch of yelling and yeah, they had come home from the bar and it was, uh, it was like a wrestling match in the bathroom or something. It was a small <laughs> apartment, man. And we were on the second, second floor. So I'm sure somebody was pissed. You know, you, you said earlier, you know, that your brother would be there when you're jumping on the trampoline. And I was wondering, you know, how often was he there with you when you learned tricks on the trampoline? Well, it just, just about every time. I mean, you know, sometimes you, you can't get enough air by yourself, so you need somebody to bounce you, you know? Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, a lot of times... Yeah, he'd be bouncing me to try and, you know, I was trying to do like a, a backflip to a front flip, you know, like do a backflip 180 and then do a front flip after that, you know, and I was like, you know, he'd be there like, dude, that shit's crazy, you know, and then, <laughs> uh, you know, and then, and then it, it, it became like, he was like, he was like my biggest fan, you know, I'd, I'd yeah. get home. I'd get home from shredding. He'd be like, dude, what did you do today? Like, you know, he, like, he would know like something went down and I want to know what the fuck it was, you know? Yeah. And so, yeah, Clint was always, uh, you know, a big fan of what was going on with my snowboarding, but yeah, it all kind of, it all kind of stemmed from jumping on the trampoline together and pushing each other to, you know, try something. Yeah. But I never really had that with him in snowboarding, you know, cause he was like, he played basketball and he was a super sick basketball player, but, uh, um, he only snowboarded with me a couple of times. And, uh, the, I remember the first, he was good. Like he was like, he'd been snowboarding for a week and he was landing backflips. Like, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> he, uh, first time I went to Alaska with him. Well, the first time he ever went to Alaska, you know, he's with the homies and they were just like, just point it, dude. Like get off the quad, go to the right and just point it. Yeah, and he he got to the bottom of that hill and caught his heel edge and you know got a concussion like whiplash and oh dang had like okay. a major concussion like where he left in an ambulance you know and, oh wow uh, an ambulance yeah I mean he was like throwing up like yeah he got messed up and uh, and I think he he did snowboard after that but I remember it just was like always it was always bad luck or something like he just got this brand new. Atlantis set up and we went shredding and uh he broke his binding like the first day out on it and I was just like dude why does this always suck for you it's just the funnest <laughs> thing in the world but it doesn't work for you but anyway yeah I don't know how that would have been different to have my brother out there snowboarding but uh I don't know he probably would have made fun of me all the time and stuff <laughs> did he make fun of you growing up <laughs> yeah did you have an older brother <laughs> yeah <laughs> come on cody yeah yeah 
was, but you know, all in all, he was pretty, he was pretty cool. Um, yeah. You know, he was older, a couple, you know, year and a half older than me. And so I was always hanging out with the older kids. And then, you know, when my friends came over, they were always best friends with my brother and I was pissed about it, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. You always want to hang out with them. Yeah. I was always trying to be, you know, with the older kids and, you know, all my friends wanted to be with the older kids too. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, uh, but no, we were, we were pretty good buddies and, and, uh, yeah, we ended up working together for quite a while. We worked on the slope, uh, together for about five or six years. You know, that was a pretty good run. We get to go to work and, you know, be with, be with my brother. That was good. And, yeah. and now he lives in Anchorage. So, you know, we're, we're close. Something else you said earlier that I really liked is how your grandpa bought you a video camera when you were 16. Yeah. 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 Um, so when I say my grandpa, he's uh, really was a surrogate. Um, is this this dude Bob Davis that was uh, introduced to us when I was probably I don't know how old we were. It was before we moved into town, so I must have been like twelve years old or something like that when I met him. But mm -hmm. um, he was just this old guy that would take us snowboarding, or you know, and they pretty much if he caught wind of something that you really wanted, like he would he would make sure on your birthday it just like showed up there you know huh. and i like had my eye on this this digital handy cam yeah and uh it was at costco and stuff and like i don't know and just on my 16th birthday he just like you know gave me a 1200 video camera as a 16 year old <laughs> kid you know so, yeah it was uh it was kind of unreal you know it's like uh but yeah bob was just the guy that um you know before I could drive, he, you know, he'd drive me to turning it past. And, uh, he was actually there the first day I, I landed a double backflip out on the five minute hit out at, uh, Turnigan pass. So he, he drove us up there, uh, me and a couple friends, uh, Victor and Clemens, and uh, mm -hmm. maybe there was somebody else there, but, uh, you know, we, we built that five minute jump on the side of the road there and Bob just sat in the car and waited for us <laughs> the whole time, you know, so he just brought a book or something and yeah, you know, he'd drive us up there. We I just remember when we were, we were driving up there, we would, uh, we'd drive around with Bob and we'd be listening to like two live crew and like <laughs> Eminem's albums and stuff. Yeah. Like he loved Eminem. It was the funniest shit. He's like a 70 year old man running around listening to that shit. I mean, he really listened to country and western when we weren't in the car, but yeah, uh, yeah, he was uh, yeah, one of the coolest dudes ever. Just like this old dude that uh, was a kid. That's great, and he just kind of adopted all of you guys. He did, yeah, and and you know, and just uh, some some kids more than others, but like he always made sure that kids had birthday presents, and you know, he just uh, if you needed a ride somewhere, or even if like. I just remember like being stranded somewhere one time and like, <laughs> like the car, the truck wouldn't start or something, you know, and like, damn it. Yeah. It before cell phones, you know, and I'm like, how the <laughs> fuck am I going to get home? And he just like showed up. I'm like, oh, well, thanks. <laughs> you know, like I wasn't, my truck wasn't working, so I wasn't going to be able to get home. And, uh, you know, just like, he just took care of a, uh, you know, a bunch of kids around here. Uh, one, one of my friends had a mom that worked, uh, 
worked out on a fishing boat or she was a cook on a boat or something and he would like stay at their house for the week that she was out on the boat you know like he just was a one of those dudes that was uh was around to help everybody out yeah he sounds like a great guy yeah bob was uh definitely uh a huge part of my life uh in in getting into snowboarding and uh he passed away um i think 2002 well no it was 2003 or four okay after i left to college and uh yeah anyways it was uh, a big loss for all of us but uh he was old yeah yeah it sounds like he was 70 when you were kids yeah yeah I remember after I got my, my first pro model, uh, that was the year that Bob passed away. And, uh, I just, I remember putting, putting Sharpie on my board. It was like B O B R I P on, on all of my, my pro model boards. It came, it became part of the graphic. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. What did he think about your snowboard career? He was my biggest fan, him and my brother. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, he he got me that video camera, and um, I did, I had a I had a Subaru and a video camera, and uh, that year when I was sixteen years old, it was it was film a video part, sponsor me video, yeah. you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, and uh, that was kind of what I told Bob was like, I'm gonna if I get this video camera, I can make this part, and then I'm gonna get free snowboards, <laughs> <laughs> and then when the free snowboards and free Oakley gear and the, you know, the kind packs and shit started showing up. He yeah. was, he was pretty psyched about that. I bet. Yeah. <laughs> I bet, I bet he had this feeling of, you know, he bought you this, this thing, this camera and he's seeing kind of like the fruits of your labor because of that camera. Yeah. And he just like, I don't know. He just knew, he just knew the drive that I had to, to make it happen. It was just mm-hmm. like, yeah. I mean, you want to do it, you can do it. Here it is. Yeah. Yeah. What was it like growing up in Seward? <laughs> awesome, man. Seward was great. Um, so when I was young, we lived out of town, uh, seven miles out of town. And uh, I just remember that neighborhood being full of kids my age. And we were, you know, riding bikes all around all summer and uh, riding snow machines and stuff around all winter um, and it was I think I was 14 when my parents bought a new house and we moved into town kind of closer to the school mm-hmm. um, but yeah I was just I was I was always into sports and uh, you know I, I was into wrestling at a young age I think I was like seven years old when I started wrestling so I was traveling to do that and um, you know uh, my dad was a uh, was a teacher, a PE teacher, elementary school PE teacher. And he also coached, you know, some sports. He coached basketball and football and, uh, you know, a handful of track and field and some other stuff. But, uh, mm-hmm. but yeah, growing up in Seward was, uh, was really cool. It's just like a, an ideal place for a kid to grow up in my opinion, you know, yeah, especially that, that out of town, day and age when we were had the crew that would just ride bikes around out out of town you know out in our little hood and you know building forts and you know yeah just being kids running around in the woods 
my dad, you know, he's got the boat in Seward, you know, and he's had his boat there for a long time. And I have spent a lot of time in Seward, you know, from a young age. And I, um, I remember when I was really young, I rollerbladed. <laughs> yeah, dude. <laughs> and, and honestly, those moments of just blading around Seward at nighttime with those lights, you know, on, and you can just, just shred the streets right in front of the Harbor right there. And, and down, down the roads all over the place are just some of my like secretly happiest moments when I was a kid. <laughs> dude, that's so funny. Cause dude, my whole, my whole skate crew, we used to blade man. When we were like, when we were like in the sixth grade, man, we were blading and it was every day after school, we'd be down in the Harbor and shit ripping around on the blades. <laughs> oh, that's so funny, dude. Cause I experienced the same thing. That was such fun times. Yeah. There, there's just this, feeling of freedom in it you know you're out there you have like your own mode of transportation maybe it's like a similar feeling as you get when you first get your car you know when you turn 16 and you can you can kind of rally around but you know i was probably like nine or ten or something and i got my blades and you know it's it's nighttime it's dark but you have the street lights on and you're just feeling the wind in your hair you know (laughs) (laughs) oh man i know exactly what you're talking about blades were so fun so did you ever strap on a snowboard and get pulled around town by a car (laughs) (laughs) didn't this come up on like facebook or some shit like recently that's where i got it yeah yeah um (laughs) Yeah, dude. I remember, well, it started off like back in the day getting pulled around by snow machines. I remember before I even snowboarded, we were getting pulled around by, on skis on, you know, by a snow machine and, uh, and, uh, getting, getting pulled around like that. Um, and, and then it turned into a snowboard and then the snow machine turned into a car. Um, yeah, definitely. Uh, when it snowed a bunch in town, um, I remember getting pulled down second Avenue and there's a big ridge, uh, ridge of snow in the middle, you know, a median of snow in the middle of the road. Mm-hmm. And we were, you know, getting pulled by a car and slashing the, the, the snow median. Yeah, definitely got pulled, pulled around by a car many times. <laughs> I remember my, uh, my best friend growing up had, uh, got, it was before I had turned 16. He got this new, it was like a eighties style, uh, Chevy truck. And, uh, he was, it was first snow of the year. And I, he pulled me around on the, on the Seward highway and I totally destroyed my snowboard and just didn't really even think about it. But, uh, yeah. until it was all done, I'm like, damn, that was really stupid, you know, but yeah, many times been pulled around by a car or a snow <laughs> machine. <laughs> yeah. Would you do that now? I thought about it this year, man. We got okay. like a two and a half foot dump. I'm like, man, where's the tow rope? Let's fucking do this. <laughs> do you feel like you still have that uh, that sense of adventure that you did when you were younger? Well, I don't know. I still I split board now, so I I, I like to get out and do that. Um, so yeah, I guess 
that that sort of sense of adventure is still there. And you know, if I if I didn't have kids, uh, you know, family here, I'd probably be heading out to tailgate or something, go to Valdez and and uh, and shredding. You know, I still, mm-hmm. yeah, I I would still be doing it if I didn't have other commitments for sure. When you think about you know when you were younger and you're snowboarding and you're also partying what do you feel like was important to you that's a that's a good question i know it wasn't school i was supposed to go to school (laughs) when i was in in nevada for reno that wasn't that wasn't really important at all Um, i mean i didn't end up getting a degree or anything like that but yeah um uh yeah I mean, snowboarding was really important to me it was like what my hopes and dreams were to pursue that and just uh you know be traveling around the world going snowboarding all my life mm-hmm. <laughs> i guess it's kind of a a far-fetched dream but i don't know when you're 20 years old like i don't i don't know that anybody really knows what they want to do for a living or uh what what life means to them you know at all but um yeah i don't know um what was important at that time was was my friends and and uh and just to just to be happy doing whatever it was i was doing mm-hmm. you know i was having a good time it was mostly just friends you know and i used to deliver pizzas in Reno and you know like <laughs> it didn't matter like what I was doing as long as you know I had the homies to link up with and yeah you know party down or, or just uh you know kick it and laugh you know but yeah there was a huge huge crew of people that I'd known for a long, you know quite a long time uh down there in in Reno but uh yeah them days were fun yeah they were do you keep any mementos from, you know, back in the day? Oh yeah, dude. I still have like those old borderline, uh, t-shirts, you know, like, okay. It's got like the, the skull, the skull with the crossbones dripping blood thing on there. And it says Draper on the back. It's like, oh, okay. I, I still have one of those, uh, t-shirts from like the, you know, the team all got a shirt and stuff. Yeah. And that shit was super cool. And yeah, I still got, I still have that one in particular. Like there's been a lot more that I've probably, that I've lost and don't have anymore. But yeah, I've got all the, uh, the pro model boards that uh, were built uh, from Trilogy Arts. So there was, there was three of them and I, you know, I've, I've got those. Uh, I've thought about, you know, making an art piece or something with them, but they just sit in the closet, but, uh, but yeah, I definitely have like a handful of things from that, you know, part of my life around, um, I built a coat rack out of one of the old nitro boards that I really liked. And, uh, yeah, I like to, I like to see that stuff in my house. I've got a, a framed, a framed, uh, sequence photo of one of the trans world, uh, shots um that somebody made for me so yeah yeah I, I like to keep that stuff around you know i try not to try not to live in the past you know too much but it's uh definitely it was a, a huge part of my life and i really enjoy uh looking back on it and you know 
talking about it with you. <laughs> yeah, I I think that there's there's definitely a fine line between like succumbing to the past, you know, having all of these mementos around and you maybe look at them longingly. And then on the other side of that is, you know, having these memories of these moments in your life. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I, uh, I've, I've had somebody tell me before that I was living in the past and it was kind of a, a transitional period in my life where I was kind of, you know, going back to what I know, you know, what, what I knew is, is snowboarding and, uh, mm -hmm. you know, to be told like, you know, you're, you're living in the past, like you need to get it, you know, get in tune with what, what you're all about now, you know, that kind of meant something to me, but, uh, I don't think there's anything wrong with, you know, looking back and, and, you know, just loving what happened in, you know, the, my past in, in snowboarding or just, just anything else really. But, uh, yeah, but there is something to that to, uh, you know, definitely, be in tune with in the present and, and, and have something in your life that, that you love, you love now and mm -hmm. uh, you know, not, not just your family, but something that's yours, you know, something that, you know, you go, you can go do and get away or, or, you know, something that, you know, take your mind off of everything else. And, you know, but, uh, I definitely don't get a, a lot of time to do those sorts of things, but, uh, but I've, I've, I've really been enjoying, uh, disc golf lately disc golf okay yeah yeah <laughs> there's a disc golf course here right behind my house and that's been kind of one of my like if i get a, a little a little bit of time to escape i can you know grab a homie and go go through the 18 hole course yeah, yeah. that's awesome yeah so. you know not that long ago somebody said something similar to me about living in the past, you know, with interviews or podcast episodes like this, you know, mm -hmm. where I'm reconnecting with people from those borderline days. And, you know, it, it's fun. It's fun to reminisce and also commiserate about, you know, some of the, the not so great things, but mainly, you know, the great things that that era really symbolized. And, you know, I, I've thought about it since, and then, you know, in addition to, you know, seeing how many people listen to these episodes and then also how many people comment on them. And then I think I've come to this understanding that, you know, it, it helps reinforce an identity. You know, you, you had mentioned that your friend who said that you're living in the past is like, you know, kind of called you out on that or, or mentioned it. And, and then you went back to, you know, this thing snowboarding where you feel comfortable, like that's where your identity is. And, and I don't find anything wrong with that, you know, cause there are so many people who unfortunately aren't lucky enough to have that understanding of themselves and, you know, this belief in their, their own identity and where they belong, you know? Yeah yeah i don't i i know i know people that are you know are stuck in the past and you know have those resentments that they can't let go of and and there's uh it's no way for them to get away from from that you know and to to find something or or 
create something that, uh, you know, um, that you can live in, in the now is, is super huge. Um, mm-hmm. you know, I kind of dove into that as like being a parent now and stuff. And like, you, there ain't really much looking back or dwelling on the past anymore. It's like, you know, what's happening right now is, you know, kids trying to destroy my house. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But yeah. It was, uh, I don't know. That was, uh, I really thought about that when that person told me like, you're living, you're living in the past. And, uh, you know, it took, it took a while to kind of really let set in or, or really like kind of do something about it. But, um, and you know, like I, I honestly kind of thought about that when, when, uh, you know, all of this stuff kind of came up too. It was like, Oh man, like we're, and, and like your, your crude conversation stuff and, and, uh, you know, it was, it was initially, it was Borgstead when he was trying to start the, the blue and gold thing. And he was mm-hmm. like messaging me about, you know, uh, something, you know, stories from the past and stuff like that. And I kind of was thinking to myself, like, man, when are we going to go back and relive all that stuff? But <laughs> it, it's actually really fun. <laughs> yeah, it is. And at least from my perspective, you know, I, I, came to this realization a while back that, you know, there's, there's so many people that were involved in borderline that are continuing to be involved in media. And I know that there are a number of conversations swirling around, like, how do we, you know, how do we document this for like posterity? Because if one of us don't do it, then it'll disappear. And that's kind of like the thing that you don't want to happen you know, with these, these really, you know, great moments or great eras in your life. And like that borderline era was so important to so many people that that's where I find myself, you know, in in the answer to that question or the answer to that, I guess that call out or that statement that I mentioned earlier, where somebody was like, you're, you know, you're living in the past with these conversations. And I'm like, I don't think I am actually, I think I'm preserving the past. Yeah, and that's actually super dope, dude. Like, it's like a, a, a ancient culture, you know. At a certain point, like, mm-hmm. you're uh, you're telling telling those sto- those stories and and uh, keeping that keeping that tradition alive. But you know, there's there's definitely something to that 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 period in time where, like I said, like borderline camp was the coolest thing going on and if i was gonna miss that i probably would have wanted to die you mm. know like okay. that was the that was there was something super special about you know that that whole scene and that whole period of time and it wasn't just me mm-hmm. yeah i think that's a really important point is that it was this collective experience you yeah. know it wasn't just me and it wasn't just you and we weren't just out there having a great time with like two buddies you yeah. know it was generations of people yeah dude i just i think about like how many like sponsored snowboarders came out of that era like mm-hmm. dude nuts like <laughs> yeah. just countless people that just killed a snowboard in so many different areas and uh yeah, it was all just bread right there, you know, it was all, and I, I don't know, I think it, it kind of had to do with just getting 
everybody in one place at one time too you know it's like mm-hmm. you really see what everybody else is capable of and if you weren't at that level you know you were trying to get there mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> yeah i just fuck i just remember lando just fucking going to the moon dude like <laughs> that fucking hip jump like yeah. Yeah. holy shit and and that's you know that's when shit was getting super real that that year must have been like I don't know, two thousand three or four, maybe, and just like these, a lot of these guys are really, really, really good athletes, and mm-hmm. and are maybe even close to being some of the best on the planet, which mm-hmm. Lando pretty much proved. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And uh, you know, uh, there's there's no question. Yeah, I think it sh- there shouldn't be any question in anybody's mind who is the best snowboarder to come out of Alaska. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I asked earlier, what was important to you when you were a kid? What do you think is important to you now? My kids, Mm -hmm. you know, what's the, the main thing that's going on in my life is that, uh, I just want to see these kids have it as good as I had it or better, you know, in there, in there growing up. And, um, I'm probably, it's looking kind of sunny out and I'd probably take the kids out to the snowboard hill and, you know, let them, <laughs> let them point it down the hill a few times, you know? Uh, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I mean, that, that's just it. You know, I mean, both my kids are in preschool right now. Um, they're 16 months apart. Um, and that is, the most important thing that's going on in my life is, is my kids and, you know, getting them, you know, as much exposure to, you know, all the good things, mm-hmm. you know, they need to, you know, get out, be outside every day, you know, they need to, uh, you know, be, be played with and taught. And, um, that hands down is, uh, is the most important thing going on in my world. Um, but, you know, I also strive to, you know, uh, progress in, in my business. You know, mm-hmm. I, I, I went back to school when I was 35 <laughs> and, uh, went to tech school here at Avtech in, in Seward. And I started doing, uh, plumbing, heating and refrigeration. Um, and I, I always owned a, owned a business, but I was doing, I still had the lawn care and landscaping business here, mm-hmm. uh, you know, up until that point. And, um, but in that that business transitioned into being this uh, plumbing, heating, refrigeration uh, business that I continue to run. But uh, you know, progressing in in that, and you know, just kind of uh, figuring out how to how to help people, um, you know, with their their heating and and you know, plumbing kind of needs here in my my hometown. You know, um, mm-hmm. that's something that that means a lot to me. You know, to to be a you know, to be a good a good service for people that are in need, you know. I mean, it gets it's cold out and your heat's not working. You know, there's only a handful of people around here to call, mm-hmm. um, and so that's important to me. You know that that um, you know I keep up on the new stuff and keep uh, uh, providing a good service for uh, the people in town here. You know, especially the elderly people. You know, like okay, sometimes I I go and do a job that I. I don't particularly want to do, but like who else is going to help this old dude with his 
toilet that's leaking. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah. it sucks. I don't like crawling around on the floor next to somebody's toilet, but uh, it's uh, it it means a lot to me. I wonder if if this is just me catching on to this, or you know, maybe you had many people in your life like this, but what you just said about you know helping elderly people like who else is going to help them like who else besides me in you know this small town of seward it reminded me a lot of bob mm -hmm. yeah <clears throat> I, I don't know that i mean you know like i said i ran a lawn care and landscaping business for you know all of my upbringing and that's how i was able to you know get my get the things that i you know needed and wanted um, and a lot of those clients were, you know, older people. Um, you know, but, uh, yeah, I don't know. Um, that, that guy for sure, my surrogate grandpa definitely left a mark on, uh, on, you know, helping out the elderly people. You know, I think, uh, when he died, I think I kind of, uh, regretted that I wasn't there more for him in his final days um you know i was i was in tahoe i was off snowboarding i was off you know pursuing my dream when he died and um you know i don't i wasn't in the closest of contact with him when all that happened but uh but yeah definitely uh helping out helping out elder, elderly people is is something that uh i try to i try to uh keep at the forefront of the you know my business and, and, um, you know, I, but the other thing is that I don't really have any like elderly people that are, you know, in my family anymore, you know, like all my grandparents are dead, you know, like mm. I guess, you know, my aunt, aunts and uncles are, are getting older, but they they all live elsewhere. And, uh, but yeah, I don't really have that, uh, elderly presence in my life anymore on like the personal level. Mm-hmm. What kind of dad do you feel like you are? <laughs> uh, shoot, I um, I don't know. I mean, I I feel like I'm, I feel like I'm a good dad. I, but uh, I feel like you know, people around town see me, you know, running around with with two kids by myself most of the time. Um, uh, but. <laughs> I, I don't know. I I, I kind of hope I'm not that dad that's always yelling at my kids or anything like that, but uh, they need to be yelled at sometimes, you know? <laughs> uh, um, I don't know. I guess sort of a hands-on dad, you know, I'd like to be, I'd like to be out doing stuff, you know, mm -hmm. all the time, you know? I just think of being a kid and like, you know, you you want to have something to do all the time. You never want to be bored. And yeah, I hope to be, you know, the dad that allows my kids to do as much as possible. You know, we're lately we've been going to the swimming pool a lot, you know, and the weather's getting nicer. So we're kind of, you know, spending more time outside and the kids want to get on their bicycles and Remy's showing some interest in skateboarding and, you know, just, uh, I just want to be that dad that gives them the opportunity to try and do anything and 
even if they want a rollerblade, I'll be okay. Or scooter. If they want a scooter, <laughs> cool, man. They can be like professional yeah. razor scooter guy, you know, or girl. So. But yeah, I just want to be, uh, I, I don't know. I guess I, I feel like I'm the dad that's going to, uh, you know, just kind of let them get into, you know, whatever's going to be the most fun. If one of your kids, you know, wanted to be a professional rollerblader or a professional scooter, is that what you would say? I don't know how that <laughs> word would work in that situation. Or, you know, a professional snowboarder. I wonder, I mean, I'm sure you would, you would sit down with them and have these conversations about like, you know, the right way to go about it and maybe not to, uh, encounter or to avoid some of the, uh, like the unfortunate circumstances that you did. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if I, I guess, unfortunate circumstances as far as getting injured and and whatever, but you know, I don't, I don't see anything wrong with the way I went about, um, the stuff that I did, you know, it was all a learning experience, but, um, but yeah, if, if, if they were to, to get involved in some corn, some kind of action sport or, you know, something that was, you know, uh, like snowboarding, um, I would have a lot of insight on, uh, you know, how, how to go about it. And, uh, but yeah, more than anything, you know, I think that the, uh, what I would have to tell them would be to keep them safe more than anything, you know, mm-hmm. uh, I think it's so easy to get hurt. It's so easy to, you know, do something that's going to affect the rest of your life, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but as far as like the decisions that were made and, um, you know, the, the way I kind of went, went about trying to be as pro snowboarder, I don't know if there's any other, way that I could you know, tell them how to, how to go about it. But, uh, but definitely being safe and being, being selective about like, you know, who you're with for one and, you know, especially in the back country, um, uh, but also like where and what you're trying at certain places or, you know, certain times, like, okay, this isn't the time to try to do a quadruple cork. Like, you <laughs> save that for the X Games, you know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, but yeah, definitely uh, there would be some, there'd be some, some coaching involved. And, uh, yeah. And what I meant with that question or, or a piece of it when I was referring to unfortunate circumstances was your time with Nitro. Um, or companies like Nitro, and maybe how to avoid people and business practices like that. Yeah, I don't know. That was kind of like a, something that like I didn't see, uh, didn't didn't really see coming. You know, like it was kind of like up as behind the scenes, like, oh hey, this guy's talking shit about you. You know, <laughs> like yeah. Um, so it wasn't like something that like I chose because there was there was parts of Nitro that was awesome, you know. There was mm-hmm. this guy Chris Cooster that was, you know, the international marketing manager that was just like stoked on me and like anytime I talked to him, he was always just super awesome, you know. And anytime, you know, I ever needed anything, he would just get it to me. And then the other side was like, "Oh, hey, my boots blew out." Like like 
to to the team manager be like, oh well, just you know, poke a hole in there and you know, fix them yourself. You stitch them up or like you know, yeah. like just just <laughs> this one angle was just like not quite right, and I knew it, you know. But um, but as far as like being involved in it, it wasn't really like I didn't really see any other avenue. It was just kind of like the the. the it was like the opportunity that was presented to me. And in some ways mm. it was really good and in other ways it was really bad, but, uh, you know, it ended up turning out to be like something that wasn't good for me in the long term. Um, but yeah, maybe I would like, <laughs> if my kid was in that situation, maybe I would kind of have a little bit of insight on like, Hey, like this guy isn't doing what he's supposed to do with an athlete. That's got a lot of potential. Like, you know, Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I just remember I, I went to, I went to Utah, uh, it was, uh, one of my first years in, 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 down in Tahoe and, and I went to Utah and I was like all excited to meet this team manager guy, you know what I mean? Yeah. And I didn't, I didn't end up even meeting him, you know, it was just like, this dude just blew me off and, mm. you know, and gave me, you know, the last pick of the boards, like, just like, you know, and I, I felt like I had a lot more to offer you know, that program than, than what he kind of, you know, uh, he, he just didn't like me, you know what I mean? And, Mm. you know, I had a lot of people kind of trying to tell me at that time, like, Hey man, like you can, like you, you've, you got something really good here. Like you can, you can pick other, you know, other teams or other, you know, you could probably figure out something else, but like, that didn't seem like it was an option, you know, back then it was like, Oh, these, these guys are giving me this opportunity and, you know, looking back on it, like, yeah, I, I probably should have just like jumped ship on that. You know, there was like, you know, part of that program that was like really cool. And then the guy that was directly responsible for like making sure that I was exposed Mm -hmm. to, you know, to media, uh, he did the opposite. Mm. And so, um, yeah, I would I would have a little bit of insight on, you know, directing a young athlete to, you know, to maybe maybe just know like what they're worth or at least or at least just telling somebody like, "Hey, you know, like I don't I don't really need what you're giving me," you know? Mm-hmm. And I, and at that time I was I was making $500 a month. Like they were paying me $500 a month. And at that, you know, when you're when you're 19 years old or 18 years old, like that seems like a lot of money. Mm-hmm. But uh, looking back on it, and you know, if if I had, you know, some kind of guidance, I probably, you know, should have should have taken it and gone gone elsewhere with it. But you know, at at the time, it's uh, it's it's tough to do. <laughs> yeah, and you don't really know until you know. Yeah, you know, if you're, if you're, you know, that young, you're making pretty much any amount of money, doing the thing that you love and you enjoy it's a win-win. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. I mean, I I was like, shit, you guys are going to give me money to go snowboarding. Like, and I didn't even think that like maybe somebody else would do the same. I just thought I was given this really awesome opportunity. Um, but then the things kind of just like snowballing to where it didn't really make sense that somebody that was trying to promote you wouldn't be really, uh, trying to promote you. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
when you're walking around your house and you see some of those mementos, you know, that you have hanging up or that you've, you know, made into these pieces of art, what kind of memories pop up? Well, the, I, I, like, I had a really, I didn't want to think about nitro for a really long time. I like had a bad taste in my mouth about nitro, but uh, mm-hmm. at one point I, I built this coat rack out of uh, an old snowboard. But every time I see that board, I was like, I, every time I see it, I think like I almost had switchback side nine on that board right there. <laughs> you know? Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. I remember the I remember the year at summer camp and in Mount Hood on that board that's on my wall, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, you know those those pro model boards that I that I have, um, you know, one of them has, you know, the the Bob R.I.P. thing on there and just kind of mm-hmm. yeah, it definitely just reminisce. It takes me right back to that that period of time where I was doing that, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, a sequence picture on the wall where uh we were i was with the trilogy arts crew and uh there's a section of rocks that we were all looking at and uh and and so and so wanted to do this side or that side and i i said uh no i i just want to jump over the whole thing you know (laughs) and so that was that was the shot and then yeah so like i got that shot it made the magazine and then the rest the rest of the session was people jumping off parts of that, you know, yeah. <laughs> so like they were doing tricks off like the, the top half of that jump there, that rock that I jumped over. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, so definitely think about you know, those particular times. And, uh, I def I just had a, uh, a, a really good, uh, memory. I was looking at, uh, Freddie, Freddie Kelbermotten's uh, Instagram page the other day, mm-hmm. uh, and he had gone back to Tahoe, and and he he basically he did kind of like a flashback on like his first year he filmed with Standard, and he came to Lake Tahoe because his part didn't get filmed where he's from because he got hurt or something, and he came to Tahoe to finish the rest of his part, and that was my year filming with with Standard, and I was a part of that whole tahoe section of his video part and uh man that was like this the craziest year it was like it was snowing and cold in in tahoe in may and i was basically out filming with freddie and it was the writers were just me and freddie pretty much like Mm -hmm. for most of that that trip it was like a it was like a solid, it was like a week and a half of just like us just ripping around with Freddie and Ruben Sanchez and uh, Tim Manning was, was a filmer. But, uh, but yeah, just like looking back to those, those things is, uh, I just remember them so clearly. Yeah. Yeah. Kirk Steinbaugh wanted me to ask you, how did you chip your tooth? <laughs> Dick. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we were uh we were at Sig- Sigma Wu. That was the <laughs> that was the uh fraternity for that was the the snow, Alaska Snowboarders fraternity house or mocking it really, but uh yeah, I went to go take a drink off a 
40, a 40 bottle. I can't even remember the last time I drank a 40, but that was probably the last time. <laughs> yeah. Kirk, okay. Kirk slapped me in the back of the head and chipped my tooth on a 40 bottle. Oh man. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I got to go to the dentist and get a, a filling in my uh, front left tooth from, from old Kirk. Thanks, Kirk <laughs> Steiner. Another memento. Yeah. Well, that's funny. <laughs> well, Draper, that's all the questions I have for you, man. Yeah. You know, when I originally hit you up about talking with me on here, you were nervous. Why? I don't know. I don't really know, <laughs> honestly. Um, I don't Yeah, I don't know. Just... Uh, I don't know. I feel like I kind of faced a little bit of criticism in my, my snowboarding and like people were either like a fan or a hater, you know? And, uh, hmm. I guess, um, I don't know why I should have been nervous or anything, but, uh, yeah, you're either, yeah, I guess you're, you're, you can either be a fan or a hater of the snowboarding, but as a person, um, you know, I guess that's, that's up to you as well. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. I just, I don't know. I was nervous. It just seems weird, but uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I didn't. I wasn't really sure if we were going to be, you know, talking directly about just like the snowboard era or not. But uh, I'm kind of glad that that's kind of where it went because that's that seems like like I told you, I was like my life's pretty boring. Like since since all of that, but uh, you know, um, that's the, the the fun stuff to talk about. Oh, I, I was talking about this the other day. This might be fun to add in. It was like, um, so on that trip to Utah that I mentioned, I was thought I was going to meet my team manager, but ended up just like, uh, which I mean, we shredded hard. We had, I got some really good clips out of that, uh, out of that trip. Mm-hmm. One of which was, um, I went to where, uh, Aaron took and John Cooley, uh, uh, uh Chris Graves were living mm-hmm. and, uh, and they, we were partying and we had like a pet tarantula or he had, uh, Aaron had a pet tarantula and I thought like, dude, this would be sick to get a clip with this tarantula crawling across my face. I want, <laughs> I want that on my video part, you know? And so we did it and like come to find out, like I exhaled out of my nose and like scared the tarantula, like on the middle of my face. It's like those hairs on its back where like sense the, you know, the breath coming out of my nose and I like <laughs> yeah. freaked it out. And like, but I don't know, we were all fucked up. So it didn't like, it wasn't like scary or anything, you know, but, uh, so, um, anyway, yeah, I got, I got it all on film and stuff and I had a couple other bangers on that, on that video and, uh, got back to Seward and, um, my, my friend borrowed, my friend borrowed the tape and, uh, his dog literally ate the tape. Oh, <laughs> so like all this cool shit that happened on that trip to Utah is just like disappeared, you know, <laughs> just lost forever, lost forever. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. You know, it's like, yeah, some of the, some of the coolest shit that happened in those days was like, should have been documented and just never, never made it. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think that there's also some stuff that um, maybe got documented that people are not happy it got documented. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, certainly, certainly. Yeah, things that get put on 
put all the films and you're like, oh, bummer, dude. <laughs> but I remember telling Jesse, I remember telling Burton, or like, I, I did a, I think my last shot on, on survival of Titus was a, a frontside nine. And I like wreck at the end of it, like super hard. Like I ride it out, but then I like crash into this wall of fucking boulders or not like snow boulders. And, uh, and I, I landed the same trick and like smashed into a bunch of bamboo poles. And I'm like, dude, can we just not show that wreck part of it? Cause you did that to me last time, you know, <laughs> uh, but anyway, but other than that, I'd never really had anything that was like published that, uh, I didn't want to be. Yeah. So. But yeah, that one one other thing that has come up over the years too was like, what did Darian do the first double cork? And I see people that like I've had a friend say that yeah, that was that, that was the first double cork or that was the precursor to the double cork. Yeah, you know. And uh, other people say no, that was just a backflip one eighty. You know. <laughs> but. Uh, I don't know. It's debatable, you know. It is it is very debatable. If you go back and look at those, you know, um, it, it's like it's not like there's. I mean, to me, it's not like the flipping and spinning are separate. They are all in one. Mm-hmm. Um, basically, it's not like it's a, a backflip, a one eighty, and then another backflip. You know, yeah, it's like yeah. it's kind of in a in a ball of uh, flipping and spinning. But uh, but yeah, that that is still kind of debatable and uh it's not like i'm trying to like hold the <laughs> hold the 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 trophy of first first double cork but uh, i definitely feel like um i was on to something at that point yeah um was like we would go to the diving board at the at UNR in Reno uh, at the college there, and I was figuring out that you could do, you could do multiple corkscrews in any direction off of this diving board, and I was mm-hmm. doing like, you know, the double McTwist, the double backside rodeo, the double frontside rodeo, you know, like yeah, and uh, I was like, dude, this is gonna happen, you know, and then. You know, I I had already done the double backside rodeo and then the season after we were doing the diving board stuff was like I had rotated a front one that was a frontside double cork. And I was like, didn't land it, but was like, dude, this is a thing. Yeah, this is this is going to be a thing. Yeah. Yeah, it is. We all know it is. (laughs) Well, you know, for the sake of me loving the idea that an Alaskan did the first double cork. I think we're going to claim it right now that (laughs) you did the first double cork. (laughs) Okay, Cody, as long as you, as long as you say so, I'll take it. You can support this podcast at patreon.com slash crude magazine you can also support this podcast with a one-time payment at buymeacoffee.com slash crude magazine crude conversations is written hosted and produced by me cody liska for crude magazine music was produced by alcoda beats (laughs) 